So our text today is from Isaiah chapter 40. Now this is a familiar passage for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that um, it's familiar because of um, the John the Baptist passage. Uh, the other thing is that if you know the Messiah, it's a wonderful uh, song of the Messiah. But the context of um, Isaiah 40 is it is prophesied or preached. Uh, it's kind of a song as well. So it's a, as a literary unit, it's, it's produced in Babylon right around the time where the Babylonians are fall to Cyrus the Great, the Persian. So it's actually a call to go back home. Uh, is really what it is. And uh, so listen to the word of God. I need this copy. The computer cut off part of my copy today. So anyway. I know. It's one of those days, right? All right. All right. Comfort to comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh, shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The word of God stands forever. The voice says, cry. I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All, it is, all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The greatness of God Go up on the high mountain, O Lord, hear of good news. O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice in strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, in the midst of the many voices without, in the midst of all the disturbances, all the cries of violence and division, may we hear your voice, your voice of love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the way, don't worry if you hear the kids. All right? Actually, I kind of like that we can hear kids, right? It's good that we have kids to hear. Right? <laughs> I, the first church I went to was a one-room. I was told I was brought there as a baby. It was a one-room Methodist church. And we'd have Sunday school and church at the same time. And somehow we got through it. It was good. You know, actually, more than got through it. All right. So... How many movies uh, end with the phrase, let's go home? I made a mistake of Googling that, and it's, uh, it's without number, right? It almost seems like a, a plot device, right? 
<laughs> you don't know quite how to transition, let's just go home, right? But there's something about that, right? Home represents a place we belong, um, a safe place, a place of refuge, a shelter in the storm, a place where you belong and belongs to you. I mean, that's what's particularly tragic, right, when people don't have homes, or when home is an unsafe place, right? It's doubly tragic, right? Um, it's interesting. Vermont has become home for us. We, we love our little bit of shalom on Red Mountain, and we, we say every time we come home uh, and we see, you know, uh, welcome to Vermont, that feels really good to us, right? Mm -hmm. But this season of peace in our lives does not numb us from what's going on in the world. In many ways, it makes it all that much more stark, right? Um, Isaiah 40 is a call to come home literally and spiritually. The Isaiah of Babylon announces a new exodus. That's what the language of Isaiah 40 is. If you look at it, it's a, uh, a reimagining of the exodus. God's making a path for his people to come home. And he's actually calling them home to ruins. And we learned about that this summer, right? And they get back there and it's not quite what they hoped it would be. But they're called to come back and rebuild the ruins of their homeland. In Advent, it's a voice that's crying in the wilderness of our time. And it offers us a journey to a new kind of peace, right? I always find Advent to a bit of a struggle to preach. Because there's the temptation to have this kind of, of um, internalizing of the text, right? to just make it a spiritual piece or to kind of deny reality, right? <laughs> and, and kick it down the road saying, well, someday, right? But I actually think that Isaiah 40 comes to a people in the midst of a time of warfare. Isaiah 40 was preached to people who didn't know how things were going to work out. There was a hostile army approaching where they lived, where they used to belong, was ruins. Why is peace so hard to come by? Whether we're talking about inside us or in the world. You know, hostility, once it's released, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to get back in the bottle, right? I mean, you look at the current Middle East conflict, and I feel like this text makes me have to say something about this, and I, I want to. You know, sometimes you'll hear pundits or people who don't really know what's going on will say, well, they've been fighting for thousands of years. That's actually not true. It hasn't been a thousand years. But the last hundred years have been pretty tough. Okay. And part of what's going on here, we, we, we have to kind of understand, and I think as non-Jews, we don't understand part of what Israel means to Jewish people. I was part of a national Jewish-Christian dialogue, and there was a rabbinical scholar who came up to me and said, I don't know if I believe in God, but I'm sure he gave us the land of Israel. <laughs> that kind of, that summarizes it, right? Because for the better past of the last 1900 years, the Jewish people were treated as outsiders and aliens, even in lands that they lived in for centuries. Zionism emerged as a response to the modern anti-Semitism of Europe. And after the Holocaust, it's hard to read Isaiah 40 in the same way. That is why the nation of Israel is important for both Jews living there and in the diaspora. Now, 
saying that, you cannot ignore the complex tragedy of the Palestinian people either, and that the land is contested, right? That's part of why we have to hold multiple, multiple narratives together at the same time, right? Um, understanding the complexities of how we get into these positions, whether we're talking about the Middle East or the current division in America, or the context of our personal lives is even harder. I knew a church where there were two brothers, and they lived on, they, they would never talk to each other at church. They sat on opposite ends of the congregation. And uh, my, my friend was a, was a pastor there. So finally he said, why do you, what's wrong? What happened? Neither of them could remember why they weren't speaking anymore. Okay. But that actually speaks to how things happen, right? We don't turn around all of a sudden and say, I, I don't like that person anymore, right? It's kind of a gradual thing. Um, and no normal person wants to live in discord. <laughs> uh, if you have a boss or a neighbor who likes chaos, God bless you, right? All right? But most people don't want to live that way. But then why is the history of humans as a collective and individually anything but a story of Concordia and, and Shalom? How many times have we watched someone choose the disruptive path again and again? How many times have you tried, and I tried, how many times have we tried to find our peace in career, recreation, material good, our family, food and drink, nature, relationships, etc.? And yet, we're still leaky vessels, right? Nothing quite solves that. So as Christians, we need to read these texts at another layer. You know, we're told here that the, the Word of God lives forever, and, and the question is, how does the Word of God live forever? What does this hope of Christ coming teach us about finding peace? Where do we find our comfort? Ideally, peace is something that is occurring both within our soul, regardless of what's happening around us, right? We hope for peace and comfort outside of us. I had a friend every year... Her, what she asked for for Christmas was peace and quiet. She never got that gift. <laughs> All right. So how do we cultivate a peace within while working for a peace without? Thomas Merton, who actually I think today is the anniversary of his death, his tragic death. If you yourself are at peace, he said, then there is at least some peace in the world. Something. If you're at peace then there is a territory of peace. I don't know, you know, again, um, what you're thinking about when you're passing the peace every Sunday, okay? And it's great to interact. It's nice today you didn't have so far to walk. <laughs> right? You didn't have to be jumping pews or anything like that. But, yeah, right, yeah, that's right. But, what that's meant to do is really to share the peace of Christ. In other words, you have received the mercy of God, and that mercy is to be shared. You know, uh, religion can be personal, but it's never supposed to be private. It's to be shared. And that peace is this gift that we have. 
the inner peace that we have is ultimately found in God, in God alone. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. What's the warfare there? They're not fighting anybody. They are dispossessed people. They're living in exile. What's the warfare that's going on that's to be ended? The next line. Your iniquity is pardoned. The, in, the warfare inside. The guilt. The shame. The regret. The anger. All human strife, I think, is ultimately a God problem. Whether it's inside ourselves or between others. Right? Because at some point, if you're fighting with someone else, you have decided that your cause or your right is greater than theirs. And sometimes that has to happen. It happens a lot more than it needs to happen, to be honest with you. And the same thing happens within ourselves, right? I love our passage from Ephesians that Greg read. Right before the passage he read, Paul says that but God, who is rich in mercy, out of his great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The mercy of God. And then it goes on to talk about how Christ has become our peace. In a very real sense, we can look at the cross as all the anger, all the hate, all the animosity, all your hurt, all your disappointments. All the times that rage was against you, all the times you raged against others, all that is in the broken body of Christ. He is broken that we may be healed. He is divided that humanity can come together. He is our peace. He came to proclaim peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For Paul, he's talking about he came to proclaim peace to Jews and to you Gentiles, which is who we are. Now, there are many intermediate steps, okay? <laughs> if you have a lot of turmoil within yourselves, it's not magic, right? Okay? The prayer of confession doesn't make it all better, right? But it begins to make it better. And in the end, it's the grace of God that heals us. The grace comes in the healing of our hurts and the wounds by the tender mercy of God. And sometimes grace comes in the severe mercy of finding the peace to go on in the midst of our darkest moments. I think that's something that we have to remember because peace is something that we can find even in the midst of our worst days, in the midst of the most unspeakable disasters. Danielle Chapman um, is a poet. She has a new memoir out. Um, her husband is uh, Christian Wyman. Uh, who is a fascinating poet as well. Um, but in her new memoir, it's called Holler, A Poet Among Patriots. Danielle Chapman recounts how her mother's repeated lament from a tragedy was the first poem she ever heard. Um, Danielle was about three years old, and her parents were uh, in Guam scuba diving. Okay? And she was on the beach with... Um, a babysitter 
And while they were scuba diving, there was an underground earthquake somewhere far away. Um, and the undertow took away her father. And so one of her earliest primal memories is her mother coming to shore alone. And her mother said this, The Baptist hymns from childhood came back to me, her mother said, over and over again. I felt your father's hand slip out of my grip and knew he was gone. I thought I wanted to die too, but then the hymns came back to me, filled my limbs with light and made me tread again. God told me I have to live to take care of you. I mean, sometimes the peace of Christ is a severe mercy, right? And having inner peace doesn't mean we close our eyes to the horrific things that are going on in this world. I think that sometimes when we have inner peace, we're able to hold nuances, right? A little bit better. We're able to see all pe people are God's children. If we have peace within, we're less likely to take partisan sides, right? But being a peacemaker means that you hold the pain of the world because Christ told you. And getting back to this idea of hope, right? I mean, we never have anything in this world that lasts, right? There's nothing in this world that lasts. Nothing external. And it's important that we find our home and our peace in God so that we can move freely through this world, that we're available to love those we need to love, forgive those we need to forgive, starting with ourselves, and be agents of peace, regardless of who we encounter. Hugh of St. Victor was a, a great um, uh, 12th century writer. It says this, A man who finds his homeland sweet is still a tender beginner. He to whom every soil is as his native one is already strong. But he is perfect to whom the entire world is as a foreign <clears throat> land. Who knows that his home and peace is only in God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to stand with me and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostle's Creed.